The Charlotte Hornets play the Milwaukee Bucks tonight, but this starts a really hard stretch. Into the next 10 games are on the road. We'll get to all of that with our guest, Nick Carboni, today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcasts, and that includes YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. I'm Walker Mail. I'm on WFNZ from 12 to 3, co-hosting Wes and Walker, Doug Branson. He's got a sub stack on every Hornets boxscore.com and that is nick carboni back with us after was it a two-week hiatus yeah is that a right? two-week holiday break from you guys uh i enjoyed it but i'm back <laughs> what's that, I, I what's that accepted... hold on what's that what's that head yes. candy you're wearing is that a little brew crew a little milwaukee a little brew crew. i'm about to marry into a uh, milwaukee family so i gotta run around right. i got 860 oh, the hatford whalers yeah. now is that yeah. is that this kosher is the real deal too they had the they the licensing agreement on the whalers. I know this is what everybody wanted to talk about. Uh, <laughs> expired like three years ago, and so now they can actually sell whaler stuff again. So sick. Um, yeah, I'm all over it. All right, we are uh, going to talk about hockey and Milwaukee Brewers a little bit later on in the show as well. Maybe that's a segment three thing. You can find Nick on Twitter, by the way, at Nick Carboni WCNC. So before we get to this next stretch of games for the Hornets that are going to be hard because a lot of them are on the road, we do have some all-star voting results to get to. And surprising to me, I guess a little bit, just because of the popularity vote that LaMelo had last season, I don't think it matched what it is this year compared to how many games he played. So LaMelo ball is seventh in the East when it comes to fan voting results among all of the guards. Kyrie Irving was first. Donovan Mitchell was second. James Harden, third. Jalen Brown, fourth. Trey Young, fifth. DeMar DeRozan, sixth. And then you have LaMelo, seventh, just a little bit ahead of Tyrese Halliburton and uh, Derrick Rose, Darius Garland finish out top 10 um nick how surprised are you to see that Lamelo ball actually gets into that seventh spot among all of the eastern conference guards especially with the amount of games that he missed this season? Uh, have you ever tweeted about Lamelo ball or posted anything about i him? have i have yes <laughs> see, you're, maybe, you're saying maybe i shouldn't be so surprised about this <laughs> I, i'm actually not surprised and and credit to him on the floor this year for the most part i think he's you know, played at an elevated level. I know the three-point shooting is down, but his volume is is up, and it hasn't dropped, you know, precipitously or anything. And there's certainly aspects of his game we'd, we'd love to see come along. But for the most part, I think he's played well, and he's obviously a popular player worldwide. So to see him in the mix, uh, despite only playing 15 games, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm all that surprised. About you, Doug. Your, ca- your camera shot looks better too, Nick. You're looking good, man. I'm just I saying. The ring light, you know. <laughs> oh man, you guys want to get a room and talk hockey and baseball? What's talk going some Hatford Whalers. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I I think this shows you that uh, Lamelo Ball has kind of a built-in fan base, right? And that's not going away. This, you know, whether he plays one game or 82 games. But, he, but he's sitting in kind of a, a lower tier. You've got Kyrie Irving sitting in that top, top tier. 
than Donovan, James, Jalen, and the one million plus tier, Trey Young and DeMar DeRozan below him, and then LaMelo Ball. Uh, but but sitting above Tyrese Halliburton, I, I think that's a that's a big surprise. Derrick Rose is always going to get 200,000 votes until he retires, uh, just, just based on what he's done previously in his career. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, terribly surprised, uh, but I don't think – because of the games played, I don't think the coaches are going to give him a nod like they – you know, an and injury replacement. But, you know, I don't think he'll get the nod this year. Well, and, and I guess the reason I say I'm surprised is because, you know, we see Tyrese Halliburton has been absolutely amazing this year. I mean, he does not have the same popularity that a LaMelo Ball would have, and I understand that. But remember last year when the same rules applied to LaMelo, tweeting about him – content everybody gravitated towards the the, the lamello ball conversation and yet still i was surprised last year when lamello did not receive more votes right and then when you mm-hmm. have all of this criticism if if you said anything somewhat you know somewhat worth criticism about lamello then the fans would flush in and say oh no you don't talk about lamello like that and in the same vein you didn't see a whole lot of voters for lamello just last year and I'm trying to look up the voting from last season, too. He ended up getting in the top five. He had to be a first-team alternate. So as soon as somebody was out, then Lamella was that next guy in. Um, but with Donovan Mitchell coming over from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference, Tyrese Halliburton from Sacramento, and he's right there with Lamella. It is not a big difference between the two. So I guess uh, Halliburton could pass him. DeJounte Murray nowhere near um, in the top ten right now as, as far as comp- – comparing it to LaMelo so I guess that was kind of my point Doug I know you had something with that well I mean I I think when you're an American-born player even if you play internationally like LaMelo did I I think that fans want to see you win something like significant and so he didn't Mm -hmm. go through the college experience and you know play in a play in a tournament or anything like that and so yes you know obviously he had a lot of exposure through um, you know the the television show and and the ball family name but I think that, you know, in order for him to reach that upper echelon, though, he will have to win something with the Hornets or with another organization before he launches into that kind of stratosphere. When you're, I think when you're an international star, you know, typically, and when you come from a country that doesn't have a lot of NBA players, you're going to get a lot, you know, more, uh, it's going to be easier for you to climb up that sort of vote ladder, I think. And, and, and for me, I like, look, there's just so many missed games for LaMelo. I, I I mean, it would be hard for me to say LaMelo deserves it over Tyrese Halliburton when you've only played, what is it, the 15, right? We know how many games that he's missed. And, you know, the shooting has, for the most part, been pretty good, to be honest with you, on in, in, in totality. 36 and a half from three is, is fine shooting 11 times, but I, I expect him to shoot higher than that. Point is, it doesn't mean that I think he is a lesser player than some of his colleagues right there at seven, eight Halliburton, you know, Trey young to a certain extent. It's just that this year, the injuries, they hurt everybody. I mean, that that's going to come into effect when you evaluate any of these players, but, but Nick, I don't think he's necessarily, you know, some big time lesser player than some of the other play, uh, the guys that did get in the top 10 results. Yeah, I think he's played enough and done enough to be in the conscious of, you know, fans again in terms of an all-star vote. And, you know, every every game he does something or makes mm-hmm. some pass that explodes on social media. He's got the new slime shoes. He's wearing number one. I mean, he kind of just looks the part of an all-star again. And he kind of came back and, and did so at the right time, right before all this fan voting 
uh, was compiled for the first time. So I, I really wasn't surprised. Um, and listen, I, I don't think he deserves it at this point as much as he did last year, certainly. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next 15 games played or, or whatever the next vote. Yeah. total is. I think it. I think it is sometime this month. Well, here. I mean, here's the issue. Okay, let's go down the list of names that are in front of him on this list. Okay, Kyrie Irving, elite score. Donovan Mitchell, 71 points, elite <laughs> score. James yeah. Harden, you know, certainly his game is dropped, but elite score. Jalen Brown, same thing. Trey Young, Demar Derozan. Okay, you get down to Lamelo Ball. That's the first elite playmaker passer yeah. that you get to, and he's he is. I mean, he's the best passer in the league, in in, in my opinion. And uh, but but here's the thing, when you're known for making your team better through playmaking, your team has to be better, and that's not all on Lamelo. So you know that's it, it's not entirely fair to Lamelo. But the Hornets have to do a better job as an organization if they want Lamelo to ascend in that way of putting better better talent around him. Yeah. And and my question for Nick is like, so last year what we saw was that they didn't go all in on Lamelo's All Star bid. They sort of paired him alongside Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges in kind of a, a three-way uh, you, you know, ad campaign. How do you think it would be perceived if the Hornets, you know, at at, at you know at the record as the record stands right now, if they went all in on a LaMelo ball ad campaign? Oh, that's great. Uh, that's that's an interesting question. Um you know, how would you perceive how would you perceive it? How would I perceive it? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally have a problem with it. Um, you know, obviously he's their best player. He made the all-star game last year. He's putting up similar stats this year and doing things this year that, you know, even last year we hadn't seen in terms of some of the passes that he's, he's like consistently making. So I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. I mean, they got to have something to hold on to something, to, mm-hmm. something to promote, something to plug and, you know, they, they sh- like you were saying, they should build this entire franchise around the mellow ball. Uh, so I wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, they've done it in less years. Um, you know, certainly weren't playing this badly when, when Kemba was up for it and he absolutely deserved some of the campaigns they put together for him. I mean, they put together campaigns for Gordon Hayward. So to do it for Lamella ball, uh, despite the record, I, w- I would not have a problem with it personally. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think they will though, right? I mean, do you, do you do you think they will go all in for Lamelo? I mean, it's I don't know. Be tough. I have I haven't been around for a year this bad, so I don't know what was <laughs> yeah. seven and what was, did they do it for seven and fifty nine or whatever it was? So well, yeah, I don't, I don't think they had any talent worthy of doing it for it was you know before Kemba's ascension and right. all of yeah. that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to yeah. see how they approach it. I you know again, I wonder. You, what what the calculation is? Obviously, it, it makes sense. Just saying, you know, Lamelo Ball is our best player. He he's still play statistically. You know, he's still playing for the small sample size. He's playing at an all star sort of a, a a level at which you wouldn't be like surprised if somebody made an all star reserve bid. Uh, but uh, with the number of games missed, you know, in the record, it'll be interesting to see how they approach it for sure. I, I like the idea though of coming up with an all star campaign in 2011, 2012 for Byron Mullins and seeing if that was like a <laughs> thing where he could be in the Eastern Conference front court, especially after just slamming it on Lamarcus Aldridge. All right, coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets. Podcast, Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. We're going to discuss what we learned this week, and then we'll get to this upcoming stretch of games where a lot of them are on the road starting tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn, and as a small business owner or hiring manager, 
You know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools, and they make it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What did we learn? We'll tell you coming up next. Locked on Hornets is locked on Hornets. But I have seen him go all the way up to number 10. That was, is there a warning? Do we need to get out of here? Okay, here's the thing. I don't know if you heard, but my watch went off and I was trying to silence it. And then I accidentally hit ping the phone and then the phone pinged. And and now here we are. (laughs) I'm doing my best, man. It seems like you're doing your very worst. <laughs> well, sometimes it seems like you're I'm actively fighting you today to move. To sometimes move my best is my worst. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. So after OKC, the Hornets have dropped three straight. So the homestand, it started off well and then you know, lost three straight. Then they're going to hit the road. They're going to be there for a little while. A lot of road games that they've played here recently, especially with this West Coast road trip. And now they're right back there. Let's talk about what we learned in this little homestand that they just played. We got some good stuff. I mean, Mark Williams continues to impress me, at least as a first round pick, finally entering the rotation ever since he played against Portland and made that debut, made his home debut, right? I mean, it was even with some of the games he appeared in earlier on this season, those were all on the road. So finally got to play at home. Home debut was fantastic with 17 and 13, but obviously a lot of bad to choose from as well. Nick, as the guest, we will allow you to go first. What is something that you learned watching the Hornets this week? Well, something that I learned was that the eight-second clock does not begin until the player inbounding it touches the ball. Thank the you, Hornets, John. The Hornets learned that too, apparently. <laughs> you know that just, really well. It just now. was like a piling on of the last two games against the Grizzlies and Lakers, where the Hornets just got straight up clowned in their own building. I mean, John Morant. You know, just like LeBron James controlling one game, John Moran, you know, basically controlling another game. So uh, I I literally did learn that you could waste as much time as you possibly want. I think he took is that we didn't do this last show. Is that fair or foul? Is that fair or foul? The, the, you know, not touching the ball. This is apparently a jaw thing. He does it. A lot. Yeah, um, yeah. And some people are calling for the NBA to, you know, kind of step in and figure that out. Are Are you one of those people? Um, no, <laughs> go, go check <laughs> me neither. <laughs> yeah. It's go, 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 go defend him. He, he, you're I letting mean, him and do it. Took it. Steve Clifford quite a while to convince somebody to do so, which was like Ooh, the okay. next, that's an observation. Had with it, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. T- Terry, Terry was just, uh, Terry Rogier was finally the guy that was going to go over there. And then he, he seems to, he was almost scared. It was almost like, you know, Steve Irwin about to check a crocodile. Like he was like, well, <laughs> I do I get too close to it? Yeah. <laughs> and then the perfect ending to that play was the Hornets getting called for delay of game. Right. Oh, that's of course. That's what Doug said too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, all right. Doug, um, what did you, yeah. Doug, so that's ahead. what I else. No, that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, kind of in line with what Nick was talking about, about it taking 
Steve Clifford a long time to get someone to come over there and 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 pressure Jaw to get him to pick up the basketball. I think that the constant rotation in and out of players, you know, big time rotation players that Steve Clifford was going to have to depend on this entire season, the constant rotation of those players in and out has made it almost impossible for Steve Clifford to come in and try to fundamentally change the way this team views both sides of the floor. Because what I learned this week is that when the Hornets defend in transition, they give themselves a chance to compete with some of the better teams in the league. Not win, necessarily, but compete. And when they don't defend in transition, when they don't get back, and when they make bad decisions at the rim that lead to more transition opportunities for the opposing team, they lose. They lose badly. And the thing that I think we're going to learn next week or or this coming week is whether all of this losing is finally going to start to crack the morale a little bit. And I think we might have even seen that a little bit against the Grizzlies. Like, I think they've they've held it together through all of this adversity for a long time. I think it's finally starting to crack. Yeah, Steve Clifford even said after the game. Oh, sorry, Walker. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. No, what did he say? You're the reporter, please. Steve Clifford said after the game. Yeah, Clifford said after the game that, you know, the team had played hard basically throughout this entire season, despite all of the struggles. He kind of was indicating they really didn't on Wednesday. And I was at the game. It was it was listless, you know, to be to be kind about it, uh, you know, without questioning the effort of of professional athletes due to one game. Uh, it, it just didn't look the same as a lot of those other, you know, even losses where they they did play hard. No, and and that kind of goes into what I was going to talk about, and I, and I've discussed it before, but more and more it's becoming apparent that Steve Clifford has nothing for this team, and I don't know what head coach would, as far as the messaging goes, to keep them alive, almost emotionally, right? Almost with, within the sense of having something to play for, because the more he comes out and says. We just have to understand, you know, that we we can win these games. The the more he says that, the more it has the opposite effect on me. The more I feel like they they can't win these games. The more that you try to emphasize to the locker room that you know, guys, if you get back on transition defense, and you're right, Doug. I mean, they do have a chance when they do that. But we're at the halfway point in the season, and Terry Rozier is talking about this team's lack of discipline. And nobody else, honestly, is is really talking about it from a player standpoint. Kelly uh, Kelly Oubre might have, but now Kelly Oubre is going to miss a whole bunch of time and not come back until post-All-Star break. Defensively, even if Terry's talking about it, there's not a whole lot of acting about it on the other side. So I don't the, – the messaging from Steve Clifford continues to ring really loudly about, hey, we just got to remember we, we can give ourselves a chance here and there. And it happened ever since the Knicks game. And the more he talks about that emphasis, the more I, I feel you know le- less comfortable about it. Well, even, even without the injury, Steve Clifford had a tall task because he was brought yeah. in super late because of all of the issues with acquiring a head coach before they finally – uh, you know, asked Steve Clifford to come in and rescue this whole operation. So he had a he had a tall task, which was to take a team that was generally the same team for the past couple of seasons that that has gotten blown out in in play-in games and try to re- again reformulate the way they think about the game because they thought the same thing for the past two seasons and and they got eviscerated in the play-in game. And, and I just don't think I think the the injuries have made that 
um, essentially impossible. And also what's made that difficult is that the Hornets, you know, they obviously uh, they had the tough luck with Miles Bridges, but they also didn't really do anything to help. And I think when you're you're thinking about this from like a team morale or a team belief perspective, when when everybody looks around the locker room and they go, "Wait, we're actually we're, we're down someone that helped us win last season. We we only we re-signed Cody Martin. Like, where's the help? And the draft picks that that the Hornets have made over the past couple of seasons have not been able to come in and, and immediately you know take rotation positions and make a big impact. And so you know I think all of that combines uh, to to really I think the the Hornets have to consider resetting everything at this point uh, because of the belief. Uh, I mean, yeah, and even head coach, we'll we'll get to that. I I wonder if Steve Clifford is going to be here, you know, after this season, um, because we we talked about the contract in the off season after the whole Kenny Atkinson debacle. It seemed like there was very much so an out for both parties, and if the Charlotte yeah. Hornets just wanted him as a rental, and now here you are going to have the worst season that you've experienced since 2012. Last thing, we'll kind of end on a positive note here for something that I learned. Not only, you know, we've talked about Mark Williams a ton because he's exciting. He's one of the positive storylines for this team. But I think what I learned this week is that Steve Clifford is rocking with Mark Williams the rest of the way, barring some, you know, absolute huge change. You had a couple of people have um, get assigned G League assignments with Teo Maladone, who's been very good for the team this year, but you get Cody Martin back, you get DSJ back, your backcourt is as healthy as it's been. Some of the other injuries now have been Kelly Oubre, who's backcourt, frontcourt hybrid, but mostly kind of your three guy. Same thing with Gordon Hayward. So with your backcourt healthy, Teo Maladone, James Booknight getting G League assignments, so is Kai Jones, and Nick Richards not playing. So Steve Clifford is rolling with Mason Plumley and Mark Williams. For me, what I learned this week is that Mark Williams is here to stay for the rest of the season. I and I see no reason to the contrary. I don't I don't know why you wouldn't have Mark Williams be a big part of the rotation as the season goes on because if he's not playing all that well, who cares? Let him play through it and learn. If he is playing well, fantastic. You know, allow him to thrive as a rookie in some of those situations. So so that's something as a positive we can get to. All right, coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. We'll give some of our finishing thoughts and then get to the game tonight against Milwaukee. There is a stat I kind of have that might give the Charlotte Hornets a chance, something that Doug was alluding to as well. And then we'll get to the upcoming stretch of games for the Charlotte Hornets. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. And you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season to basketball. They have it all on betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can even find those on BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and the easiest way to get your betting info. You can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. More Locked On Hornets coming up next. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. David. The show's barely been on. How are these injuries going to affect the Hornets' ability to beat the Miami Heat? I'm going to go get some more buttermilk while you talk about it. (laughs) Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Okay, so it's not gone well for the Hornets. We know that. They have 8 of 10 games on the road right now, and it starts with tonight against the Bucks. My question is, 
you know, we've had such a big macro conversation about where the season is headed. The trade deadline happening on February 9th. We know about the injury keeping Kelly Oubre out until after the All-Star break. And he was one of the guys that was discussed possibly being uh, possibly being on the trade block if the Hornets did decide to just trade everything. Terry, Gordon, if they could get whatever value they deem fit in return, but also Gordon Hayward's injured. My question is, and Nick, we'll start with you. Does this eight does this 10 game stretch that they have, does this stretch define the season and define the direction they're going to go? Or has it already been defined the fact that we're basically at the halfway point and they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings? To me, I'm in the camp that it's already been defined. I think this week kind of put a cap on, you know, anything that this team might be able to do this season. Um, the injury and I just keep thinking back to this quote from Terry Rozier at the beginning of the season, that it was a blessing to get the injuries out of the way then because they just haven't stopped every time they get their lineup together, the way it was supposed to be. Somebody goes out. Now two guys have gone out again, Kelly Oubre jr. For four to six weeks, Gordon Hayward for, you know, we don't know how long with the hamstring issue. Um, and just the way the team played this week at home, uh, in these two games didn't give inspire much confidence for me. I thought things felt pretty good after the Oklahoma city game, but you know, you had to build off that. And, and that's the thing. I mean, their, their distance between the Hornets and the play in, in terms of how many games it is, is around seven right now. I mean, it's not insurmountable just in terms of, you know, how an NBA season works, but this Charlotte Hornets team hasn't has only one consecutive games one time all year. So for them to go on a run, to pile up wins, given everything we've talked about today, especially in the last segment, talking about Steve Clifford and the message and and the way they play, I just don't see it happening. I mean, you know, you, you kind of identified different stretches as being key stretches, but, you know, I thought that that West Coast road trip and then the following homestand was pretty important. And on the West Coast road trip, they went two and four, which is probably expected. I mean, it wasn't 0 for 6. It wasn't 1, one and 5. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I thought that that kind of was definitive and, and declarative of what this season was going to be. And especially when you limp out of that following homestand with two more injuries. Yeah, I mean, you essentially you can't you can't go 500 if you want any chance of of trying to make a miraculous run. I mean, you have to pace w- w- far ahead of that, and you've got Milwaukee, Boston, Boston. Uh, you got Utah. Throw Phoenix in there. There are a lot of 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 contextual things you can look at, though. Phoenix uh, is dealing with injuries. Uh, Atlanta has been a disaster this season. Toronto right now is a disaster. They started really well, uh, but they can't get their stuff figured out. Um, uh, Indiana, you know, Lamelo got injured against Indiana last time, but generally plays well against Indiana. Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee's frustrated right now. I mean, they're a great team, but they're they're dealing with some stuff internally as well. So opportunities, even though it's a tough stretch in terms of playing on the road a lot, there are a lot of opportunity games within this. Uh, so yeah, I would say this would be the fu- if there is any hope left within the organization, uh, this would take it away. Although I will say. I think the hope should already be gone because I think the Hornets have an opportunity, a a rare opportunity to be like one of the few sellers in a market full of buyers. There are a lot of teams right now that feel like they can go into the trade deadline and make a few adjustments 
and make a deep playoff run. And the Hornets can take advantage of that because even though some of their players haven't been playing up to the level that would necessarily be attractive to a normal market, when you're one of the few sellers in a buyer's market, uh, you know, some of these players like Mason Plumley, Terry Rozier can be a little bit more attractive. Uh, you know, obviously it, Kelly Oubre's out for a month. That's, that's, you're not going to, you're not going to move that. Um, you know, Gordon Hayward with the injuries, you're not going to move that, but Hey, even Cody Martin, I saw Michael Scotto uh, put out that, you know, Cody Martin could even be attractive because of the contract, because all of these teams that are buyers are thinking, Hey, we can make a run. And even if we have to take on salary, you know, in a few years, that salary is not even going to mean that much. Which by the way, Makes Adam Silver incredibly happy because remember at the beginning of the season, the dude sent out a memo to all these teams saying, maybe don't tank three games into the season for Wimby at the end, even though he's a generational prospect. That's not happening. This season is wide open. You're getting an absolute Wilt Chamberlain-like stat line every single night in the association because mm-hmm. there are so many talented players. And it's exactly what I talked about a couple of weeks ago. The Hornets are in... Not unique, but they are definitely in a rare situation this year where a, a team that had expectations to reach the postseason or playoffs, they're the ones that have the opportunity to sell. Toronto is is kind of there, but not to the level that the Hornets are. The Hornets are clearly worse than Toronto, even though they had expectations. San Antonio, Houston, you know, even OKC, who's not towards the bottom as much as those other teams, those are all the franchises that knew they were tanking. Maybe Detroit had some expectation, but it'll a whole bunch of younger players. So the Charlotte Hornets find themselves in what was supposed to be, at the beginning of the year, a pretty popular decision to just go ahead and bottom out as much as you could. It's not going to happen for all these other teams. It is happening for the Hornets. And I do think this is going to be the final nail in the coffin that cements the Charlotte Hornets, right? I, I don't, I think the season's basically already defined too. But if you are still yeah. holding on hope, this next, th- these next 10 games might be the foot that shakes you off down the cliff. Say, no, I'm sorry, we're done. I mean, this is Wimby time. We're not winning any more games, especially Milwaukee. You know, playing on the road against Toronto, even if the Raptors aren't as scary, you still are playing on the road. You have two games at home, but two games against Boston. So those are tough games. I th- yeah, I, I think, think it's it- – Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, Doug. No, please. Mm, awkward FaceTime podcast say- moment. Yeah, very <laughs> weird. Uh, I'll, uh, let me take control. Nick, you go. Nick, this is this is your time to shine. <laughs> you the guest. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it is an advantageous position to be in, and you consider – Every year around the trade deadline, it seemed that this team was trying to balance like, okay, like we have some assets we could get rid of and gain something for, for the future, but we're close to the playoffs because the East wasn't very good or we're close to the, the playoffs because there's a play in now. And we feel like we're that kind of team. I think this is lining up to, you know, three, four weeks before that trade deadline hits to, you know, prove to what's been obvious to probably us for at least a few weeks now is this team is firmly in the seller's position. And I mean, really, is it, is it Charlotte and Houston and, and how much does Houston have to offer as well? I mean, Charlotte has some of these players that if you put context around Terry Rozier, like, yes, he's shooting terribly right now. He's not playing well. He could go into another team, get, get refreshed a little bit, get in a new situation and contribute in a specific way and not, you know, all of the ways he's had to for the bulk of this 
this mm-hmm. season with the Hornets, which I think has definitely, you know, caught up to him. I just don't know what there is to lose at this point. I mean, you watch those home games, fans aren't showing, I mean, well, opposing fans are showing up, but but home fans aren't aren't showing up for this product because they understand. I mean, I think even casual fans under well, casual fans certainly understand, but even the hardcore fans are like, look, this is not a product that really has any hope of making an impact in the postseason. So when your fans understand that, it, you know, I, I just don't I don't see how as an organization you can continue it's it's cognitive dissonance if you're if you're saying to the fans, no, just give us a few more games. It's like, no, you're you're almost ten and thirty at this point. There's not <laughs> yeah. a there's not a few more games that are going to change this. Yeah. And so I, I think they they have to take advantage early of opportunities uh, to to get into a position, uh, not honestly not, not not even for the draft, but but just to reset the roster in general yep. because this experiment for reasons that were in and out of their control uh, has not worked, and I don't think really has any chance of working yeah. at this point. Yeah, you're not getting a first round pick for anything, but you know, you can certainly recoup some assets, um, you know, play with salary a little bit, make alleviate that a little bit. You're not going to completely shed or dump everything, but um, yeah, I agree. It's just, you know, trying to build this team in uh, the mold of LaMelo ball for the future. You could, you could at least put one foot forward on that right now. Well, and and again, just final thing for me, as you get into the off season, you can you can still do that if if you feel like you can't get enough value in return because there's not too many contenders that are going to go for an injured player in Gordon Terry who's having a, a career low shooting season. So in the off season, if some of those contracts become more valuable, not Terry Rozier's because there's still a ton left, but Gordon is an expiring con- yes. contract. You know Kelly Oubre at that point won't be tradable, so maybe that's the one that there's a little bit more of a pressing need alongside Mason. But you can still do some things in the offseason and you can pick and choose. All right. Well, if we do get one of these high draft picks, what veterans would emphasize some of their talents alongside LaMelo? And that way we don't just do the whole um, OKC thing, Phoenix Suns things for a while where you just throw a bunch of 21 and 18 year olds out there on the court and not have a good enough structure to get out of the tanking cycle. So you can have some of those veteran players as well decide trade this guy, keep this one. And it can be, you know, a a nice hodgepodge of different players that you have within that locker room. Well, And it's why it's nice that Mark Williams is getting the playing time now and why Kai Jones got the look early in the season, because you're getting looks at these guys with talented players that that are not playing obviously up to the level that they've played in years past, but are talented players. And so you're getting good evaluation of those players before you hit the reset button. Because once you hit the reset button, as Walker alluded to in an earlier segment, we're going to look at Mark Williams and say, well, sometimes he plays good and sometimes he plays bad, but he's playing with a lot of other bad players. So it's really tough to make that evaluation. But but you're getting a good six-game sample from Mark Williams that says, no, he can be um, you know, a legit defensive rebounding presence. His block and steal percentage numbers are nutso right now. Again, small sample yeah, size. And he's obviously having challenges against bigger lineups, but some great numbers uh, to look to, towards you know, the future with. 
All right, that is Doug Branson just speaking. You can find his Substack on everyhornetsboxscore.com, giving you a great recap every single night slash morning of the game that most recently took place. And a big thanks, as always, to Nick Carboni joining us once again, making a weekly appearance this time. We'll keep it back and we'll keep it going. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Nick Carboni WCNC and watch him um, on different news hits, different shows there. I think 5, 6, 11 usually is when we can find you. Um, so we can find you a lot of different ways. PM, so PM, PM yes. Yeah. Not yeah, in the morning. Let's not get it twisted. I've, I've done the morning stuff. No, I, I don't wish that on in my worst enemy. And I don't wish that on you either, Nick. We appreciate the time, thank man. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, thanks for making Locked On Hornets your first listen. And thank you, uh, thank you for making us your first listen today. Now make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday.